we pause, <clears throat> obviously, this weekend to, to honor and to remember those who have taken on the difficult, and that's putting it lightly, obviously, difficult task of going to war to protect our freedom. So think about it, war is obviously something that most of us could never even imagine. We, we really, for the most part in here, except for maybe a few, we really have no idea what that's all about. Most of us have seen it only in the movies or read about it in the newspaper or maybe we've watched a story on the evening news, but most of us really have no idea, myself included. We have no idea really what it's like. But some obviously have lived it. Some died during it. I think in order to effectively defend our nation, it's obvious that soldiers enter some of the most dangerous places on earth. I have a friend who is currently uh, stationed in Afghanistan, and I see very vague bits and pieces of what he's doing through Facebook. He'll post the status, I'm going out on a mission to do this or that, and obviously he can't get very specific, but he hints toward the fact that, pray for me so that I can return. And I know he's going into some very dangerous places. These soldiers put their lives, obviously, on the line. They endure harsh conditions, and they are out to accomplish their mission without question. That's their objective. The vast majority of Americans, vast majority of Americans, will never know what that's like. The vast majority will never serve in a combat zone. will never know what it's like to do that for their country. Only those who have fought and effectively defended uh, our freedom truly understand what it's like to go into battle. And, and most of them don't talk about it. They, they understand what it's like. The Bible tells us, obviously, that in parallel to that, and even in greater substance, there's a battle going on for us as Christians as well. That we're all engaged in, whether we know it or not, we are in the midst of a spiritual battle. Uh, those who, who are believers in Jesus Christ have been called to engage in this battle, to effectively minister on behalf of Jesus Christ, and to go into what may seem to be a dangerous place spiritually, and yet... That's what we're called to do. But when we evaluate the effectiveness of our current ministry as Christians and as churches, quite honestly, the results aren't good. Maybe they once were. Maybe they once were a little better, but they're not good. As churches across our country, many times we keep trying the same old things, same old tactics over and over and over, but we fail to understand quite quite often that we're falling behind. In fact, the population in our country is increasing and church attendance is decreasing rapidly. We're falling behind and yet sometimes we don't know it. The truth be told, most people even in our country, they don't have negative feelings and thoughts toward the church as a whole. They have zero feelings and thoughts toward the church. They just don't think about the church. We sometimes may feel that people are against us. They're not necessarily against us. We're just irrelevant to them. That's unfortunate, but it's true. Maybe for some, the church is just a reminder of our country's past and a day gone by, and unfortunately, we seem to be falling behind in our effective ministry. As Christians, most of us individually, not just the church as a whole or some entity out there, but even as individuals, our ministry is sometimes less than effective. It's estimated, and this is sad, but it's true, it's estimated that 98% of Christians will die 
having never told a single person about Jesus and His offer of salvation, 98% will die having never told anyone about Jesus Christ. It's estimated that that less than 5% of all Bible-believing, church-going Christians, less than 5% of them will invite an unchurched person to church in a given year. Less than 5%. We as churches... We as Christians, we are often failing to do effective ministry in most cases. This morning, I'm not going to give you a new program for Elm Grove Baptist Church. We go do this, this, and this, and everything's okay. I'm not going to give you five steps in your life to go and be an effective minister on behalf of Jesus Christ. I don't really think that's what we need this morning. A new program may or may not help. But instead, what I want to do is take you to the life and the ministry of Jesus. I want us to encounter Him this morning. Have Him change our lives, enable us to live in obedience, following His example of holiness and ministry. And then I really believe that our own ministries as a church and as individuals, if we encounter Jesus, let Him live through us, take on His mission, then we'll have more effective ministry. I want you to turn with me to Mark chapter 1. Mark chapter 1, and we're going to begin in verse 29. Mark 1, 29. What we've studied so far in the Gospel of Mark is is that it's a moving, fast-moving account of the life and ministry and death of Jesus Christ. And we've seen he, uh, he launches his ministry in a certain way, uh, giving us the foundation for what our lives and ministries are to be about. We've seen the message of his kingdom. We've seen him call his first disciples. We've seen amazement at the authority that he had. And today, he's going to encounter, much like Dorothy did along the road to the Wizard of Oz, some fevers and demons and lepers. Except for her, I suppose it was lions and tigers and bears. But, but uh, that's what Jesus will encounter in a very fast-moving account. Look with me in Mark chapter 1, verse 29. As soon as they left the synagogue, they went into Simon and Andrew's house with James and John. Simon's mother-in-law was laying in bed with a fever, and they told him about her at once. So he went to her, took her by the hand, and raised her up. The fever left her, and she began to serve him. When evening came, after the sun had set, they began bringing to him all those who were sick and those who were demon-possessed. The whole town assembled at the door, and he healed many who were sick with various diseases and drove out many demons. But he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he got up, went out, and made his way to a deserted place. And he was praying there. Simon and his companions went searching for him. They found him and said, Everyone is looking for you. And he said to them, Let's go on to the neighboring villages so that I may preach there too. This is why I have come. So he went into all Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and driving out demons. Then a man with a serious skin disease came to him and on his knees begged him, If you are willing, you can make me clean. Moved with compassion, Jesus reached out his hand and touched him. I am willing, he told him, be made clean. Immediately the disease left him and he was healed. Then he sternly warned him, warned him and sent him away at once, telling him, See that you say nothing to anyone, but go and show yourself to the priest and offer what Moses prescribed for your cleansing as a testimony to them. Yet he went out and began to proclaim it widely and spread the news with the result that Jesus could no longer enter a town openly. But he was out in, des- in deserted places and they would come to him from everywhere. It's an interesting passage of scripture that sort of plays off what we talked about last week with the authority of Jesus Christ and we see it now extended in his ministry and we get an idea here of what Jesus was going to be about in his ministry. One of the things that we learn as we look at the example of Jesus and if you think of it in these terms it will make sense. 
that effective ministry, and Jesus certainly had an effective ministry, there's no doubt about that, but effective ministry is messy and it's often difficult. Effective ministry is messy and it's often difficult. If you've ever done ministry toward anyone whatsoever, you know this is true. You know that it's not always the easiest thing. In order to, to effectively minister and help someone in the name of Jesus Christ, it's often kind of messy. There's no real formula for that. It's often very difficult. And when I say effective ministry, let me tell you what I'm not talking about. I'm not talking about just having a large crowd here at church. That, that's great. I, I'm, I'm excited when the building is full. But that's not the core of effective ministry. I've seen churches that are full to the brim and are dead spiritually. Because they don't worship the Lord. Jesus is no longer their focus. They are just content to have a large crowd. Now, on the flip side, I'll tell you that there's nothing inherently spiritual or inherently godly or more noble in having a small, small crowd at church. I'm not trying to run you off. All right? I, I'm not saying, well, he just says effective ministry is not having a large crowd. I just won't come next week. That's not what I'm talking about. Effective ministry is not based upon how large or small your crowd is. It's also not just about having a good feeling at church. You come to church and you kind of get warmed up a little bit and you get around some friends and folks who love you and, and care about you and you, you shake hands and all of that. That's wonderful, but that's not the core of effective ministry. On a personal level, effective ministry is not just about being a nice person or being thought of as a great neighbor or good friend or whatever. That's not the core of the ministry that Jesus has called us to. It's not just about doing good things for other people like your neighbors and your friends and so on. Effective ministry, if you look to Jesus for the answer, is a whole lot more than that. And it may be quite different in some cases from what you initially think of. For Jesus, effective ministry involved changing lives. Literally, from, from this point to turning around completely a 180, that's what Jesus was about, changing lives as people surrendered to him. Effective ministry, if you look at the life of Jesus and his ministry, is about having people set free from the stuff that's been controlling them for years and years and years. I want you to know there may be somebody here today and you've been bound up by whatever it is. I have no idea. It may be a substance. It may be pornography. It may be your depression. It may be whatever it is. And you've been bound up by it for so long. The ministry that Jesus brings is about setting you free from those things that have been controlling you for so long. Effective ministry in the life and ministry of Jesus involves proclaiming the truth without any hesitation, without any fear. You realize Jesus had no fear of the religious leaders of his day? He would go into the synagogue, the Jewish synagogue, and just tell them how it was. And all the Pharisees and scribes would get all riled up. And Jesus had no fear of them whatsoever. He didn't fear his government. He didn't fear those religious leaders. He proclaimed the truth without any fear. Effective ministry also for Jesus was about making disciples. We see that. He calls his disciples and he builds into them and then sends them out to make disciples of their own. When you see it in that light, that it's not just about attracting a crowd or being a good person or having a good feeling when you're with the crowd, it's not difficult to understand that effective ministry truly is messy. And it's difficult. If you look at what Jesus encounters in these verses, and you slow down just to think about it a little bit, you realize just how messy his ministry was. He encounters a lady who seems to be very ill, Peter's mother-in-law. 
He encounters her and raises her up with a fever. He has to touch her. Who knows exactly what's going on with her? A fever was used to describe a variety of different things. And quite honestly, they thought during that day that a fever was sent from the demons. And, and here Jesus has to encounter this. Then he moves on and he, he encounters more people who are sick and demon-possessed. You say, let me sign up for that kind of ministry. Hey, where, where's the sign-up sheet for that? VBS is going to be filled with people who are sick and demon-possessed. All right, I got my T-shirt, and I'm ready to go. You know, you know, cast out demons. That's on the back. You know, that's what I Think about the ministry that Jesus did. It's messy. And then sort of as an exclamation point on this passage, Jesus encounters a person who we know as a leper. Now, leprosy back then described a variety of things, skin diseases and so on, but Jesus touches him. We'll get to in just a moment just how surprising that would have been. But his ministry was messy. He had to deal with people's problems. All the junk wound up on his desk. You been there? Ministry is messy, and we see that in the life of Jesus. I'm not just talking about ministry, by the way, from a pastoral standpoint, as if I represent the ministry that's going to be done. I'm talking about you and me as individual Christians. It's messy. You've got to get involved with people's lives just like Jesus did. And for some, we say, uh-uh, <laughs> I don't want to deal with that. That's all I've been doing is dealing with people's problems my whole life, and I'm tired of it. Maybe you're there. Imagine how Jesus felt. It's messy, and it's often difficult. The crowd sapped his energy and demanded his time. Jesus, it said here, at the end of this, he couldn't go anywhere now without being recognized and people wanting something from him all the time. And he's tired and he tries to get away to go pray and be with his Heavenly Father. And there's constant demands on him all the time. Ministry for him was difficult. There were constantly people and even the demons who were trying to speed up or trying to change or trying to destroy the reason that he came. Constantly fighting that. If we desire... To have effective ministry here at Elm Grove and in our lives as individual Christians, we have to come to expect that it's going to be messy and it's going to be often very, very difficult. And that's the picture that we get in general in Mark chapter 1, verses 29 to 45. We're called to commit to that type of ministry without question. That's what Jesus has called us to do because that's the type of ministry he did. He did. Now, if we dig just a little bit deeper into what he's doing in this passage, We'll get some ideas on how we can go about doing that. You say, hey, that's great. Thanks for telling me ministry is going to be messy and a little bit difficult. What do I do with that? Let's dig a little bit deeper and figure out what are some of these indispensable elements that Jesus is about in effective ministry. The first thing that we get that's the constant through this whole story is Jesus himself. Effective ministry must have Jesus at the center. He is the constant in every episode. The lady who has the fever, the sick and the demon possessed, when he's going out to preach, when he cleanses the leopard, he is the one who is consistent and constant through the whole thing. The circumstances change, but Jesus is there each time. Who he is and what he can do in every situation is absolutely sufficient for every need these people have. Every single need, even for the fevers and the demons the lepers that he encounters. Those things were real issues in the lives of people. We have folks here today dealing with real issues in life. It may not be a fever. You may not be demon-possessed. You may not have leprosy, but you can relate to the real issues that these folks had. And yet what's interesting is Jesus is the one constant. Without him, we have nothing right here written down. 
Because without him, these folks just go on as, as life was going to go for them without being changed whatsoever. These people needed and found the deliverance of Jesus Christ without which they had no hope. Truth is, you and I are no different from these people. Without Jesus, we have no chance, no chance apart from him for salvation. We have no chance for completeness and wholeness or healing or acceptance into the family of God. We have no chance for holy living apart from Jesus Christ. We have no chance of being set free from our addictions. I realize that there are folks here, and I've talked with folks in the past. As I mentioned earlier, you're bound up by certain things, and you wonder, how can I get set free from all of this? The Lord may lead you through certain processes in order to overcome those things, but it is Jesus Christ Himself and Him alone who can truly deliver you, even if He chooses to use a process. He alone. You're dealing with certain things in life. Jesus must be the center in order for you to be delivered just like these people. We need His touch. We need His uplifting. We need His words. We need His reaching out to us. Without any of that, we have no chance. For all we face, we're in desperate need of Jesus Christ. I, I think really that I could preach on that every single week. And I don't say this to, to insult the intelligence of anyone here, but that would be a fresh, me fresh message every single week. You need Jesus Christ. Absolutely, wholeheartedly, devotion toward Him. That's who you need is Him. Do you need other things maybe to help you? Absolutely. But if Jesus is not the center, you got no shot. He must also be the center of the ministry we do. Realize that the gospel is the reason that our church exists. We don't exist just to gather here on Sunday. We exist because Jesus has redeemed us and He's called us to minister in this community. We exist because He went to the cross and died for our sins and the sins of those around us. The gospel message is what motivates us to minister in the lives of other people as we see them who are lost and dying and going to hell apart from Jesus Christ. Without Jesus as our foundation and as our ultimate goal. Honestly, in ministry, we're just going through the motions. We're just going through the motions if it's not about Jesus Christ. We're missing the point. Without Jesus, we're just doing nice things for people. And that's nice. But that's not eternal. Without Jesus, the things that we do that even are nice won't last for eternity. Another element of effective ministry, Jesus at the core, is compassion. You see this in Jesus here in this passage. On the mother-in-law, he goes and he raises her up having compassion on her. The whole town gathers at the door, and what does he do? Leave me alone. I'm tired. Don't you get it? He heals them, receives them, and ministers to them. He encounters this man with leprosy. And no one else did for him what Jesus did. Jesus touched him. Jesus reached out to him. Jesus is moved with compassion, it says, and not just compassion to say, hey, you know what, I'll pray for you. You ever been there? Somebody comes and tells you something, well, I'll, yeah, I'll pray for you in that. And next week, you know, you see them again and you think, oh, you know, I forgot to pray for them. Let me pray for them real quick before I talk to them so that I can say really that I prayed for them, you know. Listen, I'm human too. Jesus isn't about just mere words. What's he about? He's about demonstrating his compassion with his actions, Compassion was the foundation for his ministry. Compassion on people, viewing them as creations of God, because they are. I wonder if this week you just simply love somebody because they exist. 
because they're a creation of God, made in His image. Jesus viewed them as creations. He also saw them as people in need of salvation because they were. He knew they were like sheep without a shepherd. He would say that. Just wandering around in life, needing someone to guide them. Jesus saw those people just like that. He didn't see them as outcasts. He didn't see them as a hassle. He didn't see them as an annoyance. He extended compassion to them. What I find interesting is there are really kind of three categories of people here that he extends compassion to. This, this uh, mother-in-law of Peter was a woman that, that Jesus probably knew. Uh, it, it's, uh, there, there's some evidence that Jesus would stay with Peter from time to time. Maybe, uh, maybe that was his home base when he was in that area. And so he probably knew Peter's mother-in-law a little bit. Someone close to him, Jesus extends compassion to. Then you have sort of the random people that show up at the door. He just encountered these folks that gathered and wanted to talk to Jesus, and he extends compassion to just the random people he encounters. And then he extends compassion, most surprisingly, to a person that, humanly speaking, Jesus would probably have rather avoided. A man who's unclean with a disease. And humanly speaking, Jesus probably, in his physical nature, would have said, no, no, I don't want anything to do with that guy. But obviously his divine God nature made him reach out. He had compassion on those close to him, compassion on random people, compassion on those who he would rather avoid. And I'll say this, he also extends his compassion to you and I today. He sees you. Some need to hear this desperately. That he sees you this morning. And he knows you. And he loves you. And he died for you. And you may feel like none of that's true, which is exactly why I say it. Because we need to be reminded of the simple truth that Jesus has extended compassion through his ministry even to us. He's the one who wants to and can put your life back together, whatever you're dealing with. Some today may just simply need to receive the compassion and grace of Jesus Christ and allow him to take over and to minister in your life. I think of the Wizard of Oz movie which is sort of why I wrote the title the way that I did. You remember at the very end, you know, when they get and they finally go and see this grand wizard of Oz. They've gone through all these different obstacles and followed the yellow brick road and sang a bunch of songs and songs that get stuck in your head and annoy you for days. And, and, and you know what I'm talking about. And so now you'll have that in your head for the rest of the sermon. But, but, but you understand, what, and they get to the very end and they meet this wizard of Oz who at first is this angry, intimidating, annoyed imposter. And what do they finally do? They pull back the curtain, and here's this little guy with a big microphone, and, and he's trying to scare them off. I, I fear that somehow we have that, that kind of knowledge or, or idea that Jesus is somehow the same way, that we, we approach him and he's this angry, annoyed imposter type person is not really who he says he is and yet we don't see that anywhere in the scripture Jesus is not like the Wizard of Oz that we got to go and search for all the time he's come to us he's pulled back the curtain himself he's no imposter he's the son of God and the one for for whom all those people needed something from the Wizard of Oz you know what he could give them only externals he couldn't give them what they really needed he had to try to convince them they already had it Jesus says I'll give you what you really need I'll replace everything inside of you with something new, and I'll make your life brand new, and I'll live in you from now until eternity. Jesus is no imposter. 
who doesn't care about those who come to him. He's not like the Wizard of Oz. He has compassion. Another effective ministry element is his going. You write down that word and you think, what are you talking about, going? But if you look in verses 35 to 39, Jesus says, let's go on to the neighboring villages. Jesus lived as someone who was on a mission, someone who had purpose and sent for a specific reason by God. He would say that he came to seek and to save those who were lost. His mission meant that he would constantly be going to those who needed him. Jesus was always on the move. He rarely settles down, and in his three to three and a half years of ministry, he's constantly moving, going to people who needed him. Jesus would never settle for just drawing a crowd. I I like that about him. I like that about him, that he never settled for just drawing a crowd and figuring, well, that's good enough, I've done my job. He never settled for just impressing people with his healing power, though he could heal anything and everything. He was about going to those who needed him. The disciples really didn't understand this. They were sort of excited to be a part of this this road show, so to speak. And, hey, let's set up camp and attract everybody here. And Jesus said, no, 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 let's go on to the neighboring villages. Let's keep going. Let's keep moving. The aim for every Christian can never be just popularity or being seen as a great person. I want to tell you that eternity is far too long and hell is far too real for us to settle for just being popular and nice. I'm not saying be a jerk. <laughs> That's not what I'm saying. I hope you understand. But it's, it, it, eternity is far too long. Hell is far too real for us just to settle for being nice and popular as Christians. The aim for the church can never be just attracting a crowd. It's more than that. It's reaching people who need Jesus. It's equipping those who already know Jesus to be sent out to reach people who need Jesus. We're always to be going Always to be taking the initiative, never just sitting and waiting for people to come to us. If you want to do ministry like Jesus did, you've got to go and be sent and live on mission. Jesus had that sense of purpose. He had a vision for carrying it out. He was constantly going. Another element of effective ministry we see in the life of Jesus in this passage is preaching. You say, okay, I'm with you up until this point. I like Jesus. I'm okay with having compassion on people. I might go, you know, if it's really important, but I ain't preaching. Hold on, just that's your job. That's why you stand up there with a microphone, right? Now, let me clarify what I'm talking about. There's a quote that circles around from time to time that I see from St. Francis of Assisi. And the quote is, and you may have quoted this before, and I will run the risk of offending you. The quote is, preach the gospel, and if necessary, use words. At the risk of offending, it's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. You cannot preach the gospel without using words. I've never seen anyone converted to Jesus Christ because they just were so overwhelmed at the silent witness and example of the person who worked next to them. I'm all for being a great example, trust me. Without words, the Bible says, no one can hear the message, and without hearing the message, no one can believe the message. There's no such thing as a silent witness. You're just silent, and you may be a good person, and I appreciate that. You go to work every day, and that's part of your witness, 
But to truly proclaim the truth of Jesus Christ requires that we open our mouths and testify to what Jesus has done in our lives and who he is and what he can do in the lives of other people. That's just basic. As much as I appreciate St. Francis, I think he's wrong. He's wrong. When I talk about preaching and, 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 and all of this, I'm not talking about standing up in front of the church and having a prepared message and you tell everyone. I'm just talking about proclaiming the truth and telling other folks and testifying to what Jesus has done. I believe we must have the Scripture in our minds and our hearts and on our tongues. The Bible says be ready with an answer when folks ask you the reason for the hope that's in you. What is your answer? I don't know. Is that your answer? No, it's Jesus Christ. The hope of glory that lives in me. That's who it is. You may never give a sermon. Don't be afraid. We're not going to rotate now and everybody has to come up here and preach. That's not what I'm talking about. You may never give a sermon, but what great opportunities you have every single day of your life when Jesus presents the opportunity for you to tell someone about Him. What incredible opportunities. Some with your families. Some with those that you work with. Maybe you're a school teacher and you've got young people around you all the time. Or maybe you're a retired person and you go to different places and even there you know those people need Jesus. Don't be afraid to proclaim the truth of Jesus Christ. It is the only hope for salvation in this world. And a final element of effective ministry is touching you say, that makes me uncomfortable. Everybody kind of scoots away from the person next to you just a little bit. We're not going to stand up and hold hands and sing Kumbaya at the end of the service. It's okay if that makes you a little bit restless. Just relax. But here's the deal. In verses 40 to 45, what does Jesus do when he encounters this leper? Well, he obviously knows what leprosy is about. Leprosy was a representative term for a variety of skin diseases. The, the, the person with, with leprosy was commanded by Jewish law to be considered unclean, not allowed to associate with anyone else. They had to make themselves obvious, which meant they could not do anything about their appearance. In fact, they had to make their appearance worse. They could not hide anything about it. They couldn't dress up, put makeup on, and walk around in society as if they didn't have leprosy. In fact, they had to announce it and scream it out that they were unclean so that no one in the community who would get close to them would have any chance of being infected by what they had. They had to scream out what was going on with them. What's interesting is this leper does something that was against the law. <laughs> he approached Jesus. Instead of staying back, he knew Jesus was his only hope, and he's willing to even break the Jewish law to go to Jesus. And what's even more shocking is what Jesus does in response. He doesn't run and scream. He doesn't call the Jewish authorities to have this man reprimanded because he approached a rabbi. Instead, moved with compassion, verse 41, Jesus reached out his hand and touched him. He reached out his hand and he touched him. This would have been absolutely shocking to anyone who saw it. This is not just a passing verse in Scripture that sort of describes what's going on. This is monumental 
Jesus did for this man what no one else would or could do for him. And yet that's the kind of ministry Jesus was about. The kind of ministry that I believe he expects from his followers. He gave this leper compassion instead of contempt. He gave him grace instead of condemnation. He gave him acceptance instead of rejection. And in so doing, he previews what he would do for humanity on the cross. When he touched our sin. When he became our sin. When he took our sin, forgave our sin, covered our sin, and destroyed the power and the penalty for our sin. Jesus touched us. Amen. He touched us. And healed us. Didn't recoil from our sin, but took it. And praise God he did. Effective ministry involves touching those that we would rather avoid. And there are plenty of people like that, aren't there? <laughs> I imagine you've got folks or groups of people that come to your mind when I say people you'd rather avoid. It's commanded by Jesus, and he puts it in some, some pretty strong terms. I want to read this to you as we close. If you think, well, that's just extreme ministry. That's for people who are really spiritual and go on mission trips, and do things like, I mean, that's like extreme. I think I'll just kind of do, you know, I'll do the first part of that. You know, I'll be compassionate. In Matthew 25, Jesus is speaking here, and he tells the folks something that they didn't want to hear, and quite honestly didn't first understand, but this illustrates the touching ministry that Jesus expects of all of us. Matthew 25, um, uh, let's, let's start in verse 33. He will put the sheep on his right. He's talking about when Jesus comes in his glory. And the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you took me in. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you took care of me. I was in prison. And you visited me. And the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and take you in or without clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king, Jesus, will answer them, I assure you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers of mine, you did for me. Then he will also say to those on the left, depart from me, you who are cursed, into eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. Now hold on. For I was hungry, and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger, and you didn't take me in. I was naked, and you didn't clothe me. Sick and in prison, and you didn't take care of me. Then they too will answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger without clothes or sick or in prison and not help you? Then he will answer them, I assure you, whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, you did not do for me either. And they will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteousness will enter into eternal life. It's a big deal to Jesus that we express our faith in Him in real ways just like He describes. I can't judge this morning who's saved and who's not saved and I'm not even going to try because that's not my place to begin with. I just want to let you know that the kind of ministry Jesus did and wants us to be about is a big deal to Him. It's a huge deal to Him. It's a reflection of whether we truly know Him and love Him or not. And so, 
this morning, I want to call you to some sort of response to the Lord. Maybe this morning you're that person I was talking about earlier who simply needs to receive the compassion, the grace, the forgiveness of Jesus Christ. And you say, I give up and I surrender and I am giving it all to Him and I believe in Him and receive His grace. Maybe that's your response this morning. Maybe you know you need the forgiveness of God as a sinner. We all are. And we all need His forgiveness. Maybe today you'd say, Lord, please forgive me. Believing you as the Son of God is the only way for me to get to heaven. Maybe that's your response today. Or maybe today your response is one of prayer and determined action. Not just prayer, but determined action after that to do effective ministry to those who are close to you, just like Jesus encountered Peter's mother-in-law. Or maybe to someone who you might just encounter this week that you're not expecting. Lord, put on my heart what I need to do for them. How can I minister to them in the name of Jesus Christ? Or maybe you've got those people in mind that you'd rather avoid. And you know you'll see them this week. And maybe you just respond in prayer to the Lord. Lord Jesus, I don't want anything to do with that person. They drive me crazy. They annoy me to no end. I can't stand what they do. They drive me up the wall. But I know that you went to the cross for someone like me who's just like that. Show me what I can do. Maybe your response today would be one of prayer and then determined action to effectively minister with all those elements we talked about to those close to you. Parents, don't take for granted that someone else is going to minister to your children. Don't take it for granted. Maybe you'd, you'd minister to someone who you just happened to encounter. Don't take it for granted that someone else will do that. Or just that person that you can't stand and would rather avoid, you'd pray, Lord, give me the grace. Let's bow our heads in prayer. What is your response this morning as you spend a moment with the Lord? Is it one of surrender? Of faith in Jesus Christ for the very first time? To receive his salvation? Or is it one of prayer and determined action to minister effectively to those who are close to you? Those who are just random in your life? Or those you'd rather avoid? What's your commitment to the Lord this morning? In just a moment, we'll stand and we'll sing a closing song. I'd love to be able to pray with you. Love for you to come if you'd like, and you pray specifically for those folks that God has stirred your heart toward this morning. Or if you need to surrender your life to Jesus Christ, I pray you'd be so bold as to get up and to walk down here and say, that's what I need to do. I'd love to share more with you about that. Heavenly Father, call us to action. Call us to, to a response this morning. We pray in Jesus' name.